Welcome everyone to Sunday service. My name is Nayaswami Pranava and this is Nayaswami Parvati. And we'd like to extend a special welcome to all our guests here today, both in living flesh and those on the internet. And also a special blessing to those graduates of our meditation teacher training course that ended this morning. Um, much joy to all of you that you can share these amazing teachings and bring many, many more people to their own self-realization of fulfillment. So thank you very much. The reading for Palm Sunday today from Rays of the One Light, which has commentaries from the Bible on the Bhagavad Gita, is called, Who is the Son of Man? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. On Palm Sunday, the throng joyfully acclaimed Jesus Christ as he entered Jerusalem, casting palm fronds before him and singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Lord bless the King of Israel. Jesus Christ had told the people, the Son of Man must be lifted up. His reference, so we are told, was to the mode of his impending crucifixion. Some persons on that occasion had asked, Who is this Son of Man? Was Jesus a human being merely? Those who on Palm Sunday called him king little realized the actual nature of his kingdom. He was far more than what they had imagined. Yes, of course, he ate, drank, walked, slept, and talked like others. His consciousness, however, was centered in infinity, Yes, again, he laughed like others, but his laughter expressed divine joy, not mere merriment. Again, he wept like them, but never with human grief. The tears he shed were for the sufferings of unenlightened human beings. Never were they shed in self-pity. Jesus Christ was wakeful in God. Most people, by contrast, are asleep spiritually. How strange to reflect that less than a week from that entry into Jerusalem, so joyfully claimed, he would be arrested, condemned, and crucified. Such is the bittersweetness of human existence. Smiles of welcome one day, insults, even persecution the next. How few realize that Christ's suffering would not be for himself, but for people's ignorance, for those who had not yet understood the deeper reality that dwelt also in them. Everyone is born trailing clouds of glory, as the poet Wordsworth put it. Even the meanest beggar has lived a story, or will eventually have lived it, more magnificent than the greatest epic ever written. In the Bhagavad Gita, this dichotomy between the Son of Man and the inner Son of God is beautifully described. Sri Krishna, representing God in human form, reveals his true nature in infinity. In the eleventh chapter of that great scripture, his chief disciple, Arjuna, exclaims, O infinite light, thy radiance spreading over the universe shines into the very darkest abyss. Thy voice overwhelms the roar of cosmic cataclysms. Lo, the myriad stars are thy diadem. Thy scepter radiates power everywhere. O immortal Brahman, Lord of all, again and again at thy feet of infinity, I lie in prostration before thee. Thus through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind.
I'd like to read from Whispers from Eternity. Demand to the Holy Trinity, O Heavenly Trinity, Om Tat Sat, God the Transcendent Father, God the Immanent Christ Consciousness, and God the Holy Creative, Vibratory Force of all creation, grant me the wisdom to know thy truth through my self-effort and my knowing acceptance of the law, help me up the golden ladder of realization to stand at last on the shining summit of attainment, face to face with the one spirit, perfect, everlasting bliss. Can you take that? Jesus told a story uh, sometime probably to uh, the tax collector and to his disciples as well. He said a man had two sons, and to each of those sons the man gave his fortune, splitting it equally. And one of the sons remained with the father and helped him to build up his kingdom, his land, and all of the things that he had. And the other son, it said, went out and traveled far and wide and spent his money, all of it, in riotous living, as they say. In other words, he wasted it. And uh, at a certain point, that son who had gone away found himself barely able to eat. He was eating what animals eat. And in that, his desperation and his uh, going away so far, um, he finally realized that, oh, my father, if I were at home, I could have regular food. Maybe it wouldn't be the best. Why would he give me that since I've gone away and wasted everything? But at least I'd have normal food and be cared for some. And at that point, he turned and went back toward where his father was, back to the father's land and where the other son had stayed. And it's said in this story that Jesus told that as that wandering son approached and was quite a distance still farther off, the father all of a sudden jumped up and ran down toward him in the road. And he said, My son, my son who was lost has come home. I see him approaching Get out the fatted calf. Get out the best robes and the rings for his ears and the hat for his head and everything because my son who was lost is now found. My son who was dead is now alive again. And this very touching story I tell because this was only one of the ways in which Jesus, when we asked that question, who is this Son of Man, how Jesus interacted with the people of his time very lovingly, very uh, openly, really with them in what they needed to hear, and yet from the highest consciousness. Jesus was a great master, an avatar, and he came in a time that was barbaric, (laughs) the lowest time of Kali Yuga, an age of great materialism and darkness. And he came 
with a message that is always the same, light, love, joy, and truth. And he was an incredible avatar in the fact that he not only portrayed all these very loving qualities to all of his disciples, everyone that came who was uh, open to what he had to give, but he was also incredibly courageous. He had divine love and so that meant great courage as well. And as it turned out, as we all know, the people of his time who were the, uh, the high priests and the scribes and the Pharisees all really were not interested in what he had to say. And what he had to say he said so dynamically that they really could not ignore him. And I wanted to read just the direct words of Jesus because they are so very beautiful. And this is from the chapter Son of Man versus Son of God from Revelations of Christ. I and my Father are one, Jesus said. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for a blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Jesus answered them, Is it written, is it not written in your law, I said, ye are gods? If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest? Because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works, that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. And continuing on, the woman of Samaria saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all the things, tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And lastly, as Jesus realized that much of his words, many of his words and much of his mission would not be accepted by the people of that time, he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, Ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. As we all know, Jesus lived in a very dark and uh, difficult time. And his message to people was one of great hope. The people that were open to him 
one of great hope and great love and great peace and great joy. But much of that was rejected in that time. And Jesus knew that it would be. In fact, we look at his life and see that he started out, these are very strong words that he speaks, but he started out speaking that way at age 13. And then from teaching in the temple, went off to study, to teach, to learn for 13 years or more, 17 years actually, until he returned again to his country of Israel. He said that he came for the children of Israel. And when he came back, it was a very short time before these words and the power, the truth, the light that he shone on all of the teachings of that time were too much for the people of that time. And really, they couldn't accept it and they couldn't allow him to continue on. And so, as we all know, he was bound and tortured and crucified. But the great message of Jesus, and this we will get into more in next week's reading, is that that isn't the end of the story. But in this week, and looking at who is this Son of Man, who is this Son of God, we find that it's about the intermingling of divine consciousness with human consciousness. Jesus, being a great master and an avatar, came for the people of his time. I think he probably knew ahead of time that naturally the people in charge would not be accepting his message. But he came to be with people in that very loving, open way. And he was not afraid to speak very openly to the people of his time. So a master comes in that way to share with all who will receive his teachings that highest. And that highest comes from God, from that divine source. So it's as though the superconscious level of consciousness and the conscious mind are intermingling there. And imagine what I've read here, you're meeting someone who spoke those words to you. It would, it would not be easy. You know, is this guy for real? Is, can I really accept what he's saying? How do we know what to do in circumstances like that? How do we know when people are speaking if they're really speaking from a level of truth? When it's so very blatant and shocking. Remember, Jesus was the one that drove the money changers from the temple as well. He had great power and spoke these words with great power. Well, that part, quite frankly, is up to all of us. We, as, as uh, Yogananda said, the disciples of Jesus, the ones that were close to him, they had been highly advanced in other lifetimes. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been drawn by him. Yes, he was very magnetic. Yogananda was very magnetic too and drew thousands of people to lectures across America in the 1920s. But as he said at one lecture in uh, Minneapolis, I believe it was, where he lectured to 5,000 people and Dr. Lewis was standing there saying, oh, this is wonderful. And Yogananda just looked at him calmly and said, we'll be lucky if five people come after this. And Dr. Lewis said afterwards, that's exactly how many came. 
So, you know, it's, it's a message that people have to be prepared to hear. Jesus also lectured to thousands of people. But how many were with him at the end? How many could really hear what he had to say? And even when he asked his disciples, the close ones to him, that question, who do men say that I am? And they list off all the different people, John the Baptist and Jeremiah and Elias and all of this. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? In other words, after all this time, all this time being probably several years, who knows, do you understand who I am as well? And only one was able to answer that question definitively. And that was Peter, who said, Thou art the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. But again, is our perception that clear? I don't know about how you are, but when I came to Ananda in the early years, I had an example of that in Swami Kriyananda. I debated whether to mention this or not, but it actually, it was all that I had. I had read the autobiography of a yogi and loved it, all of it. I thought it was just fabulous. At that time, I heard as well about self-realization fellowship and about Ananda. I think I heard about Ananda first, but I remember coming up here and because probably in other lifetimes I had put in my time, when I read the autobiography, it felt all just thrilling. And when I came here to Ananda, none of this was here. There were some old dilapidated buildings down around the farmhouse and the farmhouse, and there were a few buildings up at the meditation retreat. But I came and I heard Swami Kriyananda speak. And I saw the other people around him as well. And I thought, this feels like the autobiography of a yogi to me. The vibration and the consciousness for me were the same. And so how do we know? We have to prepare ourselves. We have to practice the teachings. We have to uplift our consciousness at least toward the superconscious so that we can, as John said, receive what Christ is giving, receive those great blessings. Otherwise, we may be at a place, and everybody's in different places. Excuse me just a moment. All enthusiastic and think, yes, yes, like the entry into Jerusalem. Palm fronds before him, Yes to the king, king of the Jews, all of that, but not really understanding. And Jesus Jesus came for everybody. He came for those people as well. He came for the high priests and he came for the Pharisees. But he came especially for those who could receive what he had to give. And it was powerful. It was very, very strong very strong light in that time because there was so much darkness and he had to state things very, very clearly for people to get it. But to his own close disciples, they had prepared themselves and when he spoke, it went right in. 
for me as well, I have to say, my only option when I read the autobiography and found Yogananda had died 20 years before, I thought, well, I've got to practice on someone. And here's Swami Kriyananda, who is a direct disciple. I'm going to practice. I'm going to pretend that Yogananda is coming directly through him and see where that takes me, see how that feels. And at the same time, all of the teachings that Yogananda gave I immediately started practicing, meditating twice a day. I took Kriya as soon as I could. Affirmations and positive thought and energization and everything. I just thought, this is so wonderful. How can I not take this opportunity to do this? But at the same time, I came with the question, what does it look like in a person to have wisdom and love combined? That was my question. Everybody's questions are different. But when I, as I came, first visiting, then moving here, because it felt very, very good, very wonderful, Uh, but watching people, and I don't mean watching skeptically, but observing as I went, in other words, always awake and ready, and uh, practicing the teachings, diving in, but observing as I went, I found that that wisdom and love were combined in Swami Kriyananda and actually in others that I saw here as well. It's an evolving process that we all go through, but it was extremely helpful to have actual people, not just printed teachings, not just hearing Yogananda's voice even in in recordings, but actually seeing people in motion, relating to each other. Swami Kriyananda was an incredible example in that way. But so were others who were disciples who were practicing these teachings. So it's a combination of things. It's not as though a great avatar comes, such as Jesus, and just makes it all okay. Shines the light and we're in light. Glory, hallelujah, we're saved. It doesn't work that way. We have to be ready to be saved. We have to be moving toward that light and we have to be ready to accept that light as well. And that's the last part because the the process of accepting that light is not so easy as it would seem. You would think, well, but I'm a soul, I'm a child of that light, why wouldn't I just accept it? Well, one of the other big things that we all need to deal with is the ego. And as we move through working on the teachings and working on ourselves, keep in mind always that that ego is in there, coming up when you least expect it, and blocking that light, blocking our acceptance of that light, blocking our ability to receive it, and then to use it and to channel it out to other people. So this Easter season, it's one of my most favorite times. It's a, it's a mix of sweet and sad, but it's how, it's how life really is. And as we, and, but it's also thrilling. Sheesh, 
Jesus and Avatar 2,000 years ago. I'd say it was a blockbuster. After 2,000 years, people are still doing that story and wanting to know about it and wanting to know who he was and not knowing because they haven't been open to the light yet, haven't been able to, maybe are still in process. I'd say the West still has a ways to go in that, and that's why we keep poking around trying to, uh, you know, well, who was Jesus historically, and where did he live, and what was a village, and what kind of language, and I mean, wow, <laughs> missing the point, but, but, um, but coming closer and closer, and never letting go of that, that story of Jesus, what he did, that incarnation, so dramatic, so powerful, so sad and so thrilling, is still here with us. And we, we go through it all the time. But our part of resolving that, as Jesus, as a master did in the resurrection, is working on our own resurrection. And really moving in that direction once we know about it as quickly as possible, using all the teachings, using all the uh, tools that we have, but also, too, attuning very deeply within to that consciousness of Christ, residing in Christ, residing in Yogananda, residing in any great master and many of the great saints that have come into this world. They come periodically to remind us of who and what we really are. And our part in that, again, we have to work in that. The story in the beginning of the uh, son that went away, the parable of the, the lost son, it, it didn't start happening until he turned back and started going back. And that's all of our story too. If you're in that process, and we're all in that process, then know that it's really up to you to move more quickly, take it a little more slowly, or turn away. And as we move more quickly toward that light, that light comes to us, very magnetically drawing us until eventually, eventually, we merge into that light. I'd like to read just one more thing this was a very beautiful um, ending to the Promise of Immortality chapter on uh, Palm Sunday. Who is this bewildering, this irresistible, this unfathomable being, this divine Son of Man? He is, in a sense, just as he appears to be, a divinely radiant, inspiring human being, forever seeking to draw us toward our own divine destiny. But he is infinitely more than that also, beyond time, space, and form, the Lord of infinitesimal atoms and of vast galaxies alike, the secret power behind everything in the universe, both cosmic and mundane.' 